Let me uh, welcome you here to uh, Big Valley Grace. Glad you're all here with us. Welcome to all of you that are uh, watching online with us. Uh, glad you're, you're here. Uh, last week, uh, we started a brand new series here at Big Valley Grace where we're going through the book of Romans together. And our theme verse, which is also the key verse of the entire book, is Romans chapter 1, verse 16 which says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everybody who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the Gentile. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And I, I want us to say this out loud together, this little phrase. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Here we go. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Let's do it again. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And uh, I want you memorizing that. I want you to have at least verse 16 memorized, 17 memorized, because if you nail the, those two verses, you've really got the, the whole theme of the book of Romans down. Now, last week I had you think about the person or the persons who shared the gospel with you. They weren't ashamed of the gospel and they sat you down over coffee or whatever. And I got a bunch of emails on this and it was really cool because some of you hadn't thought about it in a long time. And all of a sudden there you were thinking about the person. And for some of you, it was a person who was dead. It was a grandmother, and one person said, my parents didn't believe, they weren't believers, they are now, but at that time they weren't believers, and my grandmother wasn't ashamed of the gospel, and every time I would go to grandma's house, there was always a moment when she was going to share a story with me about, about Jesus. And so all of us in here have somebody, in most of our cases, it's multiple people who shared the gospel with us. Today I want you to take a moment and I want you to think about a moment in your own life when you were ashamed. Maybe you were at work, Monday morning, and somebody said to you, hey, what'd you do this weekend? Um, and you were ashamed to tell them you were at church. You were ashamed to tell them maybe you had come to worship the Lord. I want you to watch this video right now. My name is Zane Davis, and I was ashamed of the gospel. Uh, May 2015, I was taking a geology lab at Stan State in Turlock, and at the same time I was leading worship in our high school ministry here at Big Valley. Practice was at 4 o'clock for worship, and the class didn't get out until 4.30, so I went up to the teacher and asked if I could leave class early. And then he, uh, he asked me a question that I wasn't really ready for, and he said, why? I had a 
choice in that moment to tell him what I was going to do or make something else up. And I just told him there's some people that want me in Modesto. And he laughed. And right when he laughed, the whole class just locked onto me and him. And my friends asked me, where are you going? Why do you have to leave early? And I told them in a very, very low voice that I was going to go lead worship for high schoolers at Big Valley. class got out. We wound up leaving early and uh, the whole drive over I'm just replaying what all had happened in my head. I'm just feeling awful about the whole thing. And I, I get to church and I plug in my guitar and I step up to the mic and I, I sing. And I sing praises to the God that I had just denied. I'm singing about how great He is, how, how faithful He is when I hadn't been faithful. tearing me up inside. And we finish a song and I have to step off the stage. I, I just really just can't, can't handle it. And I go into the youth offices and Tim Genos is in there and I just say, Tim, I need to talk. I need to confess something. I, I really messed up. He says, let's talk about it. And so we do. We pray about it. He says, this, this conviction you feel is really good, but now you need to experience forgiveness and accept that and move on and move on quickly because those students are waiting on you because you're going to lead them tonight. I walked out of those offices just with such a great feeling of grace and redemption and restoration. And I get up on stage and the next song we sing is All the Poor and Powerless. And we get to the bridge and it says, shout it. Go on and scream it from the mountains. Go on and tell it to the masses that He is God. And in that moment I was just filled with joy as I had the opportunity to do what I had been so afraid to do before and that was stand by the name of Christ. When I'm faced with situations where I can either choose Christ or, or deny Him, I just remember that I would rather take any ridicule and pain that the world could dole out than feel the grief I felt when I denied Christ. My name is Zane Davis, and I am not ashamed of the gospel. Yeah. Kind of a modern day John chapter 18. When a big grown man named Peter, fisherman, was confronted by a little servant girl. And he was nervous and embarrassed and ashamed. And he denies the Lord. Probably all of us have had a moment. You know, you get to, you get to work on uh, Monday and all of your friends in the office are, aren't afraid. They're not ashamed of all of the sin and debauchery that they were involved in on the weekend. They'll tell you about the drunken party they went to. They'll tell you about the, the women that they had. They'll, 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 they're just not ashamed of their lifestyle at all. And then they ask you that dreaded question, what'd you do? And it's really easy to kind of, well, you know, I just stayed home and, you know, I just watched the game or I, you know, mowed my lawn, you know, weekends I do my lawn. Instead of saying, oh, let me tell you what I did. Oh, it was unbelievable. I gathered together with my church family and together, we worshiped God together. 
We sang praises to his name. We heard his word proclaimed. It was fantastic. It was so uplifting. If you're visiting with us, we're kind of doing one of these videos before each of our gatherings, and I just thought Zane's was fan fantastic. Well, let's uh, get into today's message, okay? In verse one of Romans one, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, they're gonna, all the verses will come up on the jumbotrons. And as I shared with you last week, uh, we give you a little note thing like this, and each week, literally, all of the notes are right here. There's no blanks to fill in or whatever. Anything that's gonna come up on this big jumbotron, we've already printed it in here for you. And we've done it in a way where you can take this home and you could um, kind of rehearse the evening, if you will. You can look over the message and just see exactly how we went through this. And let me encourage you to do that, do the daily meditation page. But in verse one of Romans chapter one, it says, this letter is from Paul. And I talked about Paul last weekend, a little bit who this man was. He says that he was a slave for Jesus Christ. He was a bond servant. He voluntarily had put himself under the authority of Jesus. Jesus was his master. He says that he was chosen by God to be an apostle. God personally selected him to be one of these very unique men that we call apostles, and I talked a little bit about that last week. And then he says, I was sent out to preach his good news. I was sent out to preach the gospel of God. And then Paul begins to unpack the gospel. He begins to unpack the good news that he was sent out to preach. And this is what we're gonna begin to talk about here uh, tonight. Now, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine that this box right here is the world, okay? And mankind lives within this box. Yeah, you've been wondering, what's that box up there for? Gotta use your imaginations right now. This is, this is the world within the box and mankind lives within the box, okay? Now, outside the box is the supernatural. Outside the box is where God lives. Outside the box is eternity, okay? But the people on the inside of the box have a problem, and that problem is, is that there's no windows in the box, okay? Imagine in this scenario. So the people can't see what's really out there, so the people are kind of trapped within the box, they're stuck, they're almost like, like prisoners. But they long to know what's out there beyond the box. So what do they do? They begin to reason. They begin to speculate on what might be on the outside of the box. They become curious, they, they begin to fantasize, they, they begin to search. They desperately wanna know about God, they desperately wanna know about eternity, they desperately wanna know about the supernatural, they desperately wanna know if there's more to this life than what's inside the box. But there's bad news. Man can't get outside the box. So guess what he does? 
He begins to make up gods that he think might exist outside the box. He sees a big red thing come up every morning. Ooh, maybe that's a god. Or this big round ball that comes up at night, the moon. He can't get outside the box. And so in his brain, he begins to think up things. Begins to make up rules and regulations that he believes might make those gods happy. Maybe we'll sacrifice a, a virgin on the flames of a fire. Maybe that will make the gods happy. You see, the people within the box are taught all kinds of crazy things about what's out beyond the box. But everything that they're taught is nothing but speculation because nobody that has ever lived, any human, has been outside the box. But it's one of the reasons why there are so many religions within the box. The people are, are desperate. They're desperate to know what's out there. They're, they're so desperate that they'll make stuff up and then they'll pass it off as truth. Now there's more bad news about the box. There's a power at work within the people who live in it. Now the people don't know about it, but it's a power. It's a, a, a superpower. And that power is called sin. Sin is at work within the box. And sin dominates everything that happens within the box. It destroys everything that gets in its way. I've told you this before, but it's like a Category 5 hurricane. And sin ultimately creates bad news within the box. And left unchecked, sin will push the people within the box to do some of the ugliest things imaginable, right? Unbelievable what sin does to people within the box. But there's another power at work within the box, and combined with the power of sin, it creates a, a double whammy for those inside the box, and that power is Satan. He's the leader of the people within the box. In fact, he's the God within the box. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, Satan, who is the God of this world, or who is the God within the box, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Interesting term that God put on the heart of Peter to write, or Paul to write here. That Satan is the God, little g, within the box. But the people in the box don't know about Satan. In fact, they don't even believe he exists, which is exactly what he wants. Now he's the one that's behind all the crazy things that are being taught within the box because he's nothing but a liar and a deceiver. He's the one that has come up with all these crazy religions that are out there. And when you put sin and Satan together, you get bad news. In fact, you get really, really, really bad news. 
inside the box is nothing but bad news. A few weeks ago, I ran into a man at a coffee shop here in town. He's not a believer. He's a really nice guy, but he's not a believer. His wife is a a Christian. She she comes here often. He's been here uh, on a few occasions. And he said to me, Rick, you always say that everybody's sinful. You're always talking about how everybody's evil to some degree. And I just don't agree with you. In fact, I think people are inherently good, okay? And as we were fixing up our coffee at the little kiosk thing, his keys were were laying there. So we're fixing up our coffee and doing our things, and I picked up his keys, and I said, you know what, you don't believe what you just said, and I can prove it by your keys. He goes, what are you talking about? And I said, these keys prove that you don't believe that. This unlocks your house that you locked before you left. This unlocks your office that you locked before you left. This unlocks your car that you locked before you left. And the reason why you lock all that up is because of sin. You know intuitively that people are evil and wicked and you'd never leave your house unlocked, would you? You don't leave your office unlocked. You don't leave your car unlocked. You lock it all up. So every time you pick up these keys, I want you to remember I'm right. <laughs> and I, I, walked out the, I walked out the door. <laughs> keys are a simple way to prove the fact that people are evil. They're just evil. Now, Some people are more evil than others. I get it. Inside the box, though, we're all sinful. All of us. All of us. Let me share with you four things that sin always produces within the box. Sin always produces selfishness. Now, this isn't going to be a comprehensive list, but I I, I want you to just kind of get something. This is one of the most basic elements of sinfulness, okay? Today, people inside the box are totally consumed on fulfilling their own desires, even if those desires are deviant. People within the box are being eaten alive with the sin of selfishness. The old motto, if it feels good, do it, is alive and well. Remember those two little words in Isaiah chapter 14 that made Satan famous and ultimately sealed his doom? I will. Five times Satan says, I will. I will. I will. I will. I will. And every person ever born besides Jesus Christ has inherited this same attitude. And here's one of the scariest things about selfishness. People will do whatever society allows them to do in their pursuit to fulfill their own lusts. Unbelievable what people will do if society lets it happen.
And we're living in a time when our society not only allows crazy, deviant behavior, but even passes laws that make it legal. Beloved, self-satisfaction is a powerful, powerful force, and it produces bad news within the box. And a person's lust for self-gratification, they'll consume everything in sight, things, people, and even themselves if need be. Even a, a spouse, the person that you, you know, made a vow to God to love you forever can be devoured by the sin of selfishness. I can't count how many times a man or a woman has told me that they were leaving their spouse because they weren't meeting their needs. I will. I will. I will. It's my needs that are being met, you see. And then the natural byproduct of that selfishness is the destruction of a child's life. After all, who cares if they're going to suffer if I leave and divorce my spouse? Because all that matters is me. And as further demonstration of the power of selfishness, they'll even believe the lie that this is in the best interest of my kids. I'm doing this for them. In other words, they want you to believe that they're the ones who are actually sacrificing. Inside the box, there's nothing but bad news. Selfishness is running amok within the, the, the box. Let me share with you another way that bad news or the bad news of selfishness shows up in our culture today, and that is this, the demanding of rights. We live in a world where people are demanding their rights, and this attitude at its core is simply selfishness. Now, where does the bad news of selfishness lead? Well, it leads to more bad news, and that bad news is called guilt. Sin always produces guilt. Selfishness or self-consumption, the fulfilling of your own desires at any cost, always will bring guilt into your life. Why? Why do we as human beings feel guilt. The reason we feel guilt is because God made you that way. God made you to feel something when you sin. And guilt is one of the primary ways God communicates to you that you're heading in the wrong direction with your life. Guilt is God's way of saying, hey, what you're doing is wrong. That attitude that you have is wrong. What you're thinking about doing is wrong. God gave us our, our conscience to help us understand something as we live within the box, you see? Now, I've been a pastor for a long time and I've seen all kinds of ways that people try to alleviate the guilt that they feel. One of the most popular ways is by just getting drunk, just getting hammered, just getting you know, loaded. 
There's just so much guilt in their life brought on by the selfishness in their life that they're just trying to somehow numb the pain of, of guilt. And so just give me another beer, beer. Let me get a six pack in me. Let me smoke some weed. Let me put some white stuff up my nose. Anything to deal with the guilt that I'm feeling. Another way, especially with men that they try to deal with the guilt is that they just work long hours. I'll just stay busy. I'll go, 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 go. I'll just keep going and keep going and keep going. I mean, after all, God has a lot to say about laziness. I don't want to be a lazy guy. Well, guess what? God has a lot to say about rest. So when you don't rest, you're in disobedience to God because God wants you to rest. But if I rest, all I'm stuck with are my thoughts, my guilt. For a lot of people, it's pornography, sex, anything to just deal with the, the guilt. And sadly, some people will actually resort to suicide, anything to just get rid of this pain of guilt that, that I feel. Some people will try to cover their guilt by blaming others for it. They'll tell themselves that society is to blame for their guilt. They've got to find a way to justify their selfishness, which brings on guilt. And so they've they got to deal with it somehow. A real good excuse these days is to blame your parents for your guilt or blame you know, Christians for your guilt or blame the church for your guilt. And so these people are in powerful positions and the guilt of their sin is so bad. We've got to shut the Christians up. I don't want them talking about God and his standards for my life because it just brings guilt on them. So I've got to figure out a way to make sure that I'm not pressed with what God says. So it's, it's the Christians who make me feel guilt. It's that preacher, he makes me feel guilt. I've got to shut him up. Got to make those people look like they're nuts and they're crazy so I can just get on with my selfishness, fulfilling all the desires in my life, you see? You see, if you can convince yourself that the guilt you're feeling is not because of anything you've done, but because of somebody else, it, it lets you off the hook, at least for a while. Hey, listen, you get enough beer in you, you won't feel any guilt. You can watch some porn for a while, you won't feel guilt for a while. You can blame me for your guilt, you can do that. It'll make you feel better for a while. In fact, it just basically leads to more guilt because you know the truth that you've pushed your guilt onto somebody else that really doesn't deserve it. People today are literally in a panic over the guilt in their lives. Really are. So selfishness always leads to guilt and guilt always leads to more bad news. And that bad news is meaninglessness. Not sure that's a real word but it's my new word, okay? <laughs> Meaninglessness. Because of all the guilt brought on by selfishness, people are in desperate search for meaning. 
You see, when you live your life for self, ultimately you get to the place where you begin to wonder, what's the meaning of life? Solomon dealt with this. Is there, you know, is this all there is? Why am I taking up space here on planet Earth? Why am I walking around on the globe, sucking in on the air, eating the food, man? Is this it? Because you can never fill all the desires you have. You can never get to the place where self is satisfied. You can never get to the place where you can say, I've arrived. I now have everything my heart's desired, you know? I don't need anything more. You never get there. Beloved, the harder you try to fulfill self, the more guilt you feel, and the more guilt you feel, the more life becomes meaningless. So life becomes this endless demonic cycle of trying to fill this void within your soul that can never be satisfied, which then leads to more guilt. And that just leads to more despair. I, I read this poem by Edna St. Vincent Millard recently, and she had this line in it. It said, life must go on. I just forgot why. <laughs> and that describes a lot of people I know. Yeah, I got to get up in the morning. I got to go to work. I got I to put a roof over my head, I guess. I got to... And there's more bad news. The world has no answers that ultimately satisfy. And you know why? Because the world is controlled by Satan, remember? And he's a liar. And the more you search for meaning, the more he pumps you full of his lies, and these lies never satisfy because they can't satisfy. So day by day, week by week, year by year, decade by decade go by, and people really never get any answers that satisfy them Totally. So today in America, the greatest piece of real estate on the planet, we have an epidemic on our hands, and that epidemic is meaninglessness. In the United States of America, crazy. Because of all the guilt brought on by selfishness, people are in a desperate search for meaning within the box, especially in the United States of America. And the fourth thing that sin always produces then is hopelessness. Sin always produces hopelessness. And by the way, meaningless and hopelessness always go together, don't they? Here's the progression. You start with selfishness. You live your life with the attitude, if it feels good, do it. I'm gonna fulfill all the desires of my flesh. And that always leads to guilt because God made you that way. And guilt always produces meaninglessness because you can never satisfy your flesh. It has an appetite that just never ends. And when a person has no meaning in their life, it just leads to hopelessness. And not only hopelessness in this life, but more importantly, hopelessness that there's anything beyond this life. And that's the worst news of all because every one of us is gonna die someday and when you have no hope beyond the grave, this is bad news within the box. See? Now I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, wait a minute. There, there, there's good news. There's good news in the world. There's good news in the, in the box. 
Not everything is bad news, and to, to a certain degree, you're, you're right. There, there are moments, brief as they may be, when things seem to be good in our world. But really, if you're honest, they're like drops of water on the ocean, right? It's bad news. Pick up your newspaper on any given day, download a few apps, I don't know, any newspapers in the country. I don't even care where the newspaper is. And just read the headlines. Just read through it. Every single newspaper, almost every single newspaper has a section in it called the obituaries. Every town in America, someone's dying. It's the one appointment we're all going to keep. You don't even have to put it in your day timer, your day planner. You'll keep it. I don't care if you're black, white. I don't care if you're rich, poor. I don't care how much money you got. Death is the great equalizer of life. It happens to all of us inside the box. Here's the bottom line. People in the box need some good news, don't they? People in the box need the truth about life. People in the box need the truth about what's outside the box. And this is where Christianity comes in. You see, Christianity recognizes the problem. It recognizes that people can't get out of the box. It recognizes that people are trapped and basically prisoners to sin and, and Satan within the box. And Christianity says, I've got some good news. You can't get out of the box, but God can get into it. And he did. You can't get out. You're stuck. You're a prisoner in here with sin and Satan. But God so loves you and cares about you, he can get into it. And he did. Christianity says we're all, we're all trapped by, by Satan and we're prisoners of sin, but God sent his son into the box to set us free. And this is good news. This is the good news that Paul was commissioned by God to go and preach. Beloved, God invaded the box. God came into the box to tell us what is really out there, to tell us how we can dwell outside the box with him forever in eternity. And the letter written to the Romans was all about this good news, the good news that God can forgive your sin through a relationship with Jesus Christ, the good news that God can help you overcome your selfishness through a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, the good news that God can take away the guilt that haunts your life through a relationship with Jesus Christ, the, the, the good news that God can give deep and lasting meaning to your life through a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, the, the good news that God can give you a hope that goes way beyond this life through a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. One theologian said that within the heart of every man or every woman is a God-shaped vacuum that only he can fill. And the good news 
is that God made a way for that void to be filled. And last week in verse one, Paul tells us that he was set apart for the purpose of sharing this good news. This was the one goal in his life. And what I wanna do just real quickly is in our text that we're gonna look at, Paul gives us three super important insights about this good news, about this gospel. So look at Romans chapter one and look at verse two, okay? This letter is from Paul, a slave of uh, Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. So the first thing that Paul tells us about the good news is this, is that the gospel or the good news is the fulfillment of Old Testament promises. That's the first thing that, that you need to see in the text. That this good news, and he's gonna tell us a lot about the good news in the weeks and months to come. The gospel, the good news, is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. See, you see, there were people in that day, especially the rabbis, that were accusing Paul of teaching some radical new thing. They were saying that this gospel was simply an invention of Paul. So Paul wants everyone to know that this good news that he's preaching isn't something new or some radical off-the-wall teaching, but that it was in fact promised throughout the entire Old Testament. In other words, the good news didn't start in the New Testament. The good news didn't start with Jesus Christ, you see? Moses preached the gospel. David preached the gospel. Abraham preached the gospel. Dr. MacArthur said this, quote, every Jewish prophet directly or indirectly prophesied of the ultimate prophet, Jesus Christ. Every Jewish sacrificial lamb spoke of the ultimate eternal lamb of God who would be sacrificed for the sin of the world. For those of you that were here during our series, the Bible, the whole Bible and nothing but the Bible, I told you that the Old Testament, the theme of the Old Testament literally could be he's coming, the Messiah's coming, the Savior's coming, Jesus is coming. And the theme of the New Testament could easily be he has come, the Messiah has come, the Savior has come. I told you that the theme of the Bible could be Jesus. And the first thing that Paul says here is this, is that this gospel that I've been sent out to preach originated in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter three, human beings sin. They sin against God. Sin enters into the world. And literally from that moment on, God says, I am going to send you a Messiah, a Savior who will deal with your sin. That moment brought sin and all the junk into the box. And so the Old Testament is all about the gospel. The Savior's gonna come. And the New Testament is all about the gospel. The Savior has come. Hebrews chapter one says this, long ago, 
God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors, to the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. And so obviously when, the, when Hebrews was written, he was talking about all of these Old Testament prophets. Abraham, Moses, you know, Noah, you know, pick, it, pick the person. So the first thing Paul tells us about the gospel or the good news is that the gospel or the good news is the fulfillment of Old Testament promises. God, God promised that he'd send a Messiah, a, a Savior, to deal with our sin. The, the second thing that Paul tells us is this. The gospel or the good news is all about a person, Jesus. In verse 3, it says, the good news is about his son, the good news, the gospel, is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. The second thing about the good news is that it's a person. It's not, it's just not any person, but it's the person of Jesus Christ. God came into the box through his son, Jesus Christ. So, so the Old Testament was promised, the Savior's coming. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born for you. The Messiah has come. It's all about a person. The gospel is about Jesus. Romans chapter Five says this, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. How? Through a bunch of rules and regulations? No. Through uh, being a member of Big Valley Grace? No. Through uh, giving money in an offering? No. Through singing in the band or the choir? No. Those are all good things. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the world. We're now enemies of God. God says, I'm going to send you a Savior. I'm going to send you the Messiah. Hey, the Messiah came. We all know that it's Jesus. And now peace is made with God when we enter into a relationship with the gospel, his son that he, that, he, that he sent, you see? Beloved, if you take Buddha out of Buddhism, you still have a great philosophy. If you take Muhammad out of Islam, you still have a bunch of rules and regulations and a system by which the people can live their life by. But if you take Jesus Christ out of Christianity, it all falls apart. Why? Because it's all based on him. Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. It's a relationship to God through his son, Jesus Christ. You see that? Now let me share with you two important things. Okay, I'm gonna fly through these two things. Number one, the first thing I want you to know about Jesus was that he was 100% human. Some people think he was a myth, that he really never existed, that he wasn't a real person, but he was. The Bible tells us right here in Romans chapter 1 that Jesus was a descendant of King David. That means he was a real person, 100% human. And I wish I had time to maybe 
you know, go into that more, but, but I don't. And number two, Jesus was 100% God. The Bible says in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word actually was God. He was with God in the beginning. Well, at that moment in John chapter one, one, we, we, don't, we don't know who it is. We just know that the word was God, but you get down to verse 14 and we're told who that is. And the word who was God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So you get, to the gospel, you get to the Gospels of Mark, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born for you. At that moment, the Word became flesh in that little town called Bethlehem. And that, you know, manger. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, he's talking to a group of people, and he said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him, to kill Jesus. And Jesus said, at my Father's direction, I have done many good works. For which one of these are you going to stone me? Which one of the things that I have done in your midst are you going to kill me for? And they replied, we are stoning you, not for any good work that you might have done, but for blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. And he did. Jesus claimed to be God because he was. Jesus was 100% human and he was 100% God. And that, if you're like me, will just make your mind go, bam! How does that happen? Man, I don't know, man. I don't know. The Bible says it, man. I don't know, man. But I can look at the life of Jesus and I can say he was human. But I can also look at his life and go, he was God. It's important that he was both and I'm not gonna go, go into it with you right now. But I can tell you this. The fact that Jesus came is the greatest news ever. The greatest news ever, that God became a man and walked among us. So Paul tells us that the gospel, you know, the, the good news was promised in the scriptures, in the Old Testament scriptures, and it was centered on a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And number three, the gospel or the good news is about what God has done. It's about what he did. It's, it's a work of grace. That's what it is. In verse five, Paul writes 
Uh, through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as, as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them. It's what God has done. The gospel is not only the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, it's not only about a person, but it's about what God did. Totally about God. So that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name, and you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to cover this a whole lot more in detail in the weeks to come, but what is grace and what does it mean? What does all this mean that it was all about God? There's a story told about a wealthy man who had a very valuable art collection, and he also had a son that he loved very, very deeply, Okay? Well, one day the, the son uh, died unexpectedly and shortly thereafter the wealthy father also died. Well, the wealthy father had a will that stipulated that all of his art was to be sold at a public auction and he had a lot of it. Well, when the day of the auction came, the man's will also stipulated that a huge picture of a son be auctioned off first. Now, compared to all the other paintings, the painting of the son was anything but special, and nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted to bid on it. I mean, he had some famous paintings, but the first one was, you know, painted by just, you know, nobody, but it was of his son, and the guy wanted that one sold first. Well, nobody bid on it until one of the man's longtime servants pulled all the money he had out of his pocket, which was about a dollar, and he made a bid for the picture of the son. And when nobody else bid on it, the longtime servant was awarded the painting, and immediately the auctioneer closed the auction, and he read the remainder of the will, which stipulated that whoever bought the picture of the son would also get all the other great works of art. And this story really captures, I think, what grace is all about. You see, when you receive the son who came into the box, you get everything else. When you say, I want to surrender my life to the son, I give my life to the son, at that moment, you get everything. God just gives you everything else. It's all about God. It's all about God. God just freely gives you all that's communicated within these two leather-bound covers. When you understand who you are in Christ, when you understand all of the spiritual blessings that go along with having the Son in your life, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Ephesians chapter one says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Let me tell you something. In the midst of all the bad news, that's good news. That's good news. That's just, that, that, that news is almost more than anybody can really 
comprehend. There are times in my walk with the Lord, there are times when I'm, you know, reading the scriptures or praying where I'm just so caught up with this idea that because I have Jesus in my life, I get it all. It's all mine. And that's what motivates me to want to serve him. That's what motivates me to want to give. And that's what motivates me to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed. Motivates me to want to serve him greater. God doesn't motivate us because, you know, hey, listen, if you don't don't do some things, I'm right here. I'm ready to, uh, look at you. And so we serve him, you know, because we're afraid he's going to, you know, thump us in the noggin. You may have had a parent who did that. But that's not the way God operates. He just says, you're my son. It's all yours. It's yours. Because you have my son. And when you really get that, it just... You you can't help but say, I'm so thankful I'm a part of the church. I'm thankful I get to serve and give and sing and whatever, whatever all those things, you know, might, might be. Everybody look at verse seven of our text and I'll wrap it up right here. Paul says, I'm writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. I wrote a note to myself down here and it just says, you know, the gospel is all about a God who loved the people in the box. Yeah, they were sinful and evil. Yeah, they came up with all kinds of blasphemy, other gods that they worshiped. Yeah, the people within the box even get to the point where they don't even believe in God. Yeah, the people in this box live deviant lives and crummy things and do crummy. Yeah, that's all true. But God loves the people in there. He loved me. Bible says in Romans chapter five, and this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Ephesians says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, (laughs) he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Beloved, it's only by grace that you have been saved. That's it. He just loved you. That's it. And so Paul now, as we continue to make our way through the first few verses of Romans, is beginning to lay out what the gospel is is really all about. And I hope that somehow, as you take these notes home and you kind of rattle around with them in your mind, maybe go over them with your spouse or with a friend or a buddy, teach them to your children that God will continue to impress upon you exactly what this gospel is. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of. 
I don't want anybody who names the name of Christ here to be ashamed of. Okay, everybody stand up, okay? Everybody stand up. I'm gonna get you out of here. I'm gonna pray for you, but don't run out of here. My friend Jackie isn't ashamed of the gospel, and she's gonna be singing some great songs out there. It's gonna be a great, great time of fellowship out there. And make sure you get out there and hip, hip, hooray her and sing along with her. Father, thank you, Lord. For our time here, I've enjoyed every moment of it. That beginning video of all the baptisms here, it's just fantastic, God. Thank you. Lord, thank you that we got to just stop and pray for what's happening in our country right now. I'm thankful, Lord, that we had a chance to honor you and worship you through our giving. And thank you for this letter. The letter written to our brothers and sisters in Rome 2,000 years ago. Thank you for sending Paul into the world, world to preach this gospel. We're all sitting here today because of how you used Paul. Thank you, Lord. Give us a great time fellowshipping out there with Jackie, and I pray this in your name. And all the God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, head out. I'll see you out there in just